Windsor Ruins. Sounds like something you might see in the UK, right? When actually, Windsor Ruins are in Mississippi. There are 23 massive Corinthian columns standing alone among trees, located near Port Gibson, and they are the remains of what was once the largest antebellum home in the state. What happened to this palatial mansion? We dug into the story, and what lies beneath will leave you stunned. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. Hi, friends and taphophiles. I'm your host, Lachelle. Today, my co-host and honorary Southerner is my son, Rhett. <laughs> Hi, Rhett. Woot, woot. Thank you for having me. I am honored to be here. Yay. Rhett has been living in Georgia for the past two years mm -hmm. and loves the South, mm -hmm. which I guess is only fair if you have a name like Rhett. <laughs> We've jokingly called him Rhett Butler his whole life. And then I went to the South and it just clicked. Everything was great. So I love the South and I'm glad we're talking about the South today. It's a special place in my heart. Rhett Butler. <laughs> As it just so happens, there's kind of some similarities between Gone with the Wind and this story in some ways. Mm. So you'll have to see. I'm excited. <laughs> So you are the perfect co-host for today. We are headed into the deep south during some crazy times. You were with me on this trip that we made this stop to the Windsor Ruins. What do you remember about the ruins? I remember just going out there and expecting this kind of mansion. But when you went there, you just saw these ginormous columns. And when I saw the columns, I was just kind of in awe because they were just so big and so you know, magnificent. I mm -hmm. really didn't know, you know, what the house would really look like because the columns were just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine, you know, what the house looked like. We stood there amid the remains of the Windsor ruins on a hot and humid July day <laughs> in 2013. My neck was craning up and hand shading my eyes from the Mississippi sun. I felt very small next to these massive columns. We had to practically look straight up to see the tops of them. I couldn't help but wonder, what was this place? What would Windsor have looked like in its day? Whose hands built it? And whose dreams had filled it? I could see that on the surface there would be riches and a luxurious life, but what lies beneath? Obvious tragedy since it is a ruin. As I imagined what happened on those grounds, vivid images practically sprang to life. The plantation mansion, called Windsor, was built by Smith Coffee Daniel II, a millionaire who owned thousands of acres of land in Mississippi, Arkansas, and Louisiana. Smith Daniel was born in Mississippi in 1826, the son of a soldier turned farmer and wealthy landowner. Smith was an only child whose wealth was partially built on an inheritance of his parents and in-laws. In 1849, he married his cousin, Catherine Skinner Freeland, and the couple would have seven children, although only three of them would live, Priscilla, Thomas Freeland, and Smith Coffee III. I know of at least two babies that died at birth. Smith had acquired great wealth as a cotton planter by age 30, and he possessed vast holdings that included possibly up to 500 slaves. Wow. He was a property owner almost without peer in the Deep South. At one time, he owned 21,789 acres of land, much of it in the finest farming belts of the states of Mississippi and in Louisiana. According to the 1860 slave schedules for Smith Coffee C. Daniel II, 
he had 150 slaves on his Mississippi farm and another 164 on Locust Wood Plantation in Louisiana and 107 on his Briarland Plantation in Louisiana as well, making him one of the largest slave owners in Mississippi. According to the National Park Service, they began construction on Windsor Mansion between 1859 and 1861. The cost at time, including furnishings, was 175000 which is estimated wow. to be around $5 million in today's dollars. Ooh. Woo! That's pocket <laughs> change. That's nothing. The Daniels built the Greek Revival-style mansion on their 2,600-acre plantation that overlooked the Mississippi River. They spared no expense in architecture, furnishings, and detail. The four-story home, which borrowed Italianate and Gothic architectural styles, had 25 rooms, each with its own fireplace, fronted with marble mantles. The home featured interior bathrooms, which was a big deal for that time period, <laughs> and the bathrooms were supplied with water from a tank in the attic, which caught and stored rainwater. Wow. Although much of the basic construction of Windsor Mansion was by those Smith, Daniel, enslaved, an architect named David Schroeder supervised a crew of skilled artisans, some even from Europe, to do finishing work on the mansion. Wow. And to help you visualize the massive scale, the footprint of the mansion was set by 29 columns, which supported a projected roof line that covered nine feet wide verandas on the second and third floors. The columns were constructed of bricks that were then covered with stucco. Each column was more than three and a half feet around at their base and stood 40 feet tall. The columns were built on top of 10 feet tall paneled brick plinths that were almost five feet square. Bricks were made in an on-site kiln. You can guess by whom. Mm -hmm. And the Corinthian columns were topped with iron Corinthian capitals. And the columns were joined at the height of the third floor by ornamental iron balustrades. As always, you can find photos of the things we are talking about today on our website, stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com. Then on the fourth floor was a ballroom that I guess was never actually finished. And at the very top was a rooftop observatory. The observatory was supported by smaller versions of the main Corinthian columns. From here, Smith Daniel could see his entire Mississippi plantation and much of his land across the river in Louisiana. The iron capitals, balustrades, and four cast iron stairways were manufactured in St. Louis and shipped down the Mississippi River to the port of Bruinsburg, about two miles west of Windsor Mansion. Windsor Mansion was constructed as a three-story block consisting of a ground floor basement with living quarters on the second and third floors. The main block was 64 feet on each side. A three-story L projected from the east side of the main block. The outer walls were constructed of wood covered in stucco. When completed, the 17,000 square foot mansion Ooh. contained three hallways and 23 to 25 rooms, each with its own fireplace. The ground floor basement get this, contained a schoolroom, a doctor's office, a dairy, which I don't know how you fit a dairy in there. <laughs> Maybe they milked the cows outside and then that was everything they made with I, I the think dairy. they had the cows in the house. In the house. Yes, Maybe. that's what I think. <laughs> a commissary and storage rooms. And then on the second floor was the hallway flanked by the master bedroom, a bathroom, two parlors, a study, and a library. Wow. I can picture this because we toured a lot of antebellum mansions of those times, and there was always that, the big doorways that entered in mm. the giant hallway going down the center. Yeah. And then on each side, you know, you could go into the different rooms. And so I'm kind of picturing that. Yeah, I think it was probably set up very similarly. Connected to the dining room by a dumbwaiter was the kitchen located on the ground floor. Mm. So they could just pull up the food through the dumbwaiter up to the dining room and send the dishes down, which was probably pretty smart and saved. Yeah, saved a lot of walking. Some people, <laughs> a lot of walking, yeah. probably their help. <laughs> so then up on the third floor, 
there were eight bedrooms and another bathroom. This really was like a miniature palace, right? Eight chimneys extended from the slate covered roof and a domed cupola with glass walls was constructed above the attic over the main block of the mansion. When the home was completed, we can only imagine the masterpiece that it was. It's pretty much like they built a mall and it was their, <laughs> it was their house. <laughs> they lived at the mall. <laughs> but did they have Dillard's? Well, we'll do some more research on that. <laughs> uh, now most people think that Windsor was named after the Royal Windsor Castle in England. Nope, nope. But it has been said that the name was actually given to it by the enslaved people working on the home. As the wind swept through the columns and past the capitals, it made a unique sound. They thought almost as if the column spoke the word Windsor over and over, and the name stuck. It sounds like the Daniels could now live happily ever after and that all of their dreams had just come true. But then, just after a few weeks of living in Windsor Mansion, Smith Coffee Daniel II dies. Mm. There are differing accounts that I found of the cause of his death. Some of them say that he died of a heart attack, and others say that he died of yellow fever or malaria. Mm. Which, the fact that he was 34 years old, a heart attack seems a little less likely than living on the Mississippi River. Yeah. <laughs> and what we know about yellow fever. Yeah, yellow or fever. Or malaria. So, who knows. Yeah. The date was April 12th, 1861 which also happened to be the first day of the Civil War. Jeez. His death was a shock to the family. Catherine and the two children, Priscilla and Thomas, ages 10 and 9, continued to live at Windsor after his death. And Catherine gave birth to a baby boy and named him Smith Coffee III just six months later in October. Catherine now found herself at the helm of Mississippi's grandest and not quite complete mansion, thousands of acres of land, and a large slave operation. With children to raise and her future in an uncertain state, the worst was yet to come as war would befall her doorstep. That would be just so traumatic, you know, having your husband die and then not only that, but then finding out there's this huge war raging in America. Yeah. Once the American Civil War began in 1861, at times the Confederates used the Windsor Mansion cupola as an observation station. Soldiers were tasked with watching Union movements up and down the Mississippi River and using signal equipment to alert their comrades of Yankee advances. But they were also being watched by the Union Army unawares in preparation for their advance on Vicksburg. Years later, Smith Coffee Daniel IV would tell the story heard from his grandmother Catherine of the night that Union troops showed up uninvited to Windsor. Though the South was in the midst of the war, the widow Catherine had still tried to make things, I guess, a little more normal for her friends mm. and family. And on at least one occasion, she invited a few neighbors and several Confederate officers over for a dinner. When she was ready for her guests, she sent a signal to her neighbors, family, and some Confederate officers. But what she didn't know was that the seemingly clandestine signal from the cupola, this time also alerted Union troops who picked up the signal. As her guests were enjoying the party, Catherine was surprised by a knock at the door. Thinking it was some latecomers, the servant opened the door to the men and welcomed them in. These men, however, were not neighbors. They were Union soldiers dressed in civilian clothing and had come to capture the rebels. One of the officers later told the story to his family in a letter saying, quote, So we entered, and there in the parlor of the house was quite a party, singing and laughing and having a fine time generally. Among them were three Confederates dressed in their gray uniforms. I walked in and went up to the one that seemed to be in command, touched him on the shoulder and inquired, are you a Confederate officer? He promptly replied, yes, I am. At this, the singing stopped and the ladies present came.
came around and insisted that we Yankees were not gentlemen <laughs> and that we should not spoil their evening by arresting and taking prisoners these three Confederates. The ladies grew very boisterous and attacked us with their fists and fingernails and refused to allow their arrest. That's, you know, just obvious. Never, never stop a Southern party. Uh, that is great. You see with their little fans and their fingernails going around. You are no gentleman. How dare you interrupt our party? Are you going to arrest these guys in front of us during this party? You can't wait till afterwards. How rude. <laughs> That's great. The lieutenant and his detail came in from the rear, and we then took the three rebel prisoners and marched them down to the river edge from Windsor to where our yalls had been left and loaded them and went back up to the river Grand Gulf where the gunboat was tied up. It was late at night when we arrived there. We then took them to Vicksburg where they were placed in prison, unquote. Oh boy, I love the story. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> something from Gone from the Wind or something. You can so see it. From then on, Union troops would keep a station at Windsor taking advantage of her strategic location and using the very cupola to track enemy movements that Confederate troops had used just days before. Knowing how Catherine and all Southerners felt about the Union, this must have been a scary time for the family having their home occupied by the enemy forces. Then in the spring of 1863, Ulysses S. Grant and 17,000 Union troops tried to cross the Mississippi from Louisiana at Grand Gulf, about 10 miles northeast of Windsor Mansion. He was unsuccessful and then changed his tactics and moved his men downriver and landed at the port of Bruinsburg the next day. After all, 17,000 Union soldiers were ashore. Thousands passed through the grounds of Windsor. When the Battle of Port Gibson was fought on May 1st, many of the wounded men were brought back to Windsor, where they staged a hospital in the basement. There are plenty of stories that Catherine enjoyed telling her family about this time at Windsor that, interestingly enough, paint a civil relationship between Mrs. Daniel and Union troops is an otherwise uncivilized time. As the first story goes, after Grant permanently stationed troops at Windsor, One of his men stole a horse from the Daniels. The soldier had remorse about his action and felt so badly that he offered to pay the Daniels $150. They refused and forgave the debt. During the time their home was occupied, a Union soldier was shot and killed in the front doorway of the home. And the family has passed along the story that during this period, so I think it's the same event, When Union troops were regularly at Windsor, there was a regular sentry assigned to stand guard. Every night, he would join the family in prayer, and over time, they became quite attached to the young man. As the story goes, a Confederate soldier snuck onto the property one day and shot the sentry. The family was so wrought with grief that they brought him into their great hall and consoled him as he lay dying on their sofa. They wept over his body when he had died. So I'm assuming that the story that we had heard about a soldier being shot in their doorway mm-hmm. is this same one. Yeah. And so I was actually baffled by the first one. It's like, how did how do we not have any? Yeah, any this more seems like an important story. You know. Yeah. So then I found this family story, and it made more sense. Well, when General Grant heard about this, he sent troops to burn the mansion to the ground. Oh, man. However, when they reached Windsor, Catherine begged them not to burn it and appealed to them that she had nursed so many Union soldiers after the Battle of Port Gibson and that she and her family would have no place to go. She persuaded them to wait for an investigation of the crime. Somehow she got her way and her home was spared but the barn was burned as a lesson to the family and neighbors, the consequences of killing a federal soldier. Union generals determined that the family had nothing to do with the soldier's death Mm. and had treated him well, so they spared the mansion. Wow. (laughs) Some reports say that the lead pipes 
which supplied the bathrooms with water, were taken out by the Union soldiers in order to make ammunition, but the home was otherwise left intact. Unlike many of its southern counterparts that fell victim to the torches of Union troops, and while the home might have looked the same on the outside, the people who lived there and the slave-based cotton economy it was dependent on would never look the same again. In the years following the Civil War, the Daniel family embraced a tenant farming system, leasing out their land to the family's 150 freed slaves to generate income. Over time, they would have to sell off most of their holdings so that the widow Catherine Daniel could stay there at Windsor. I found a letter written from Windsor on January 25, 1867 by Emily Magruder Ross. Smith Daniel had in his household in 1860 Eliza Ross, 55 years of age, born in Maryland. But we're not quite sure what the relationship to the family is and doesn't mm. explain it in the letters. But she does call Catherine her sister. Interesting. So maybe that's kind of more of an endearment than literal because I couldn't find any sisters right. named Emily. Anyway, here's the letter. <laughs> here's a part of the letter. <laughs> Sad changes have taken place in the last six years. Smith Daniel and four of his little children have died. Only six of us left. My sister Catherine, Pris, Tom, and little Smith who was born six months after his father's death. We had no one to protect and fight for us during the war. The anxiety and trouble we passed through is past description. Mm. All of our property taken from us 165 horses and mules taken from us, three steam gins, 3,000 bales of cotton burnt at one time. Our house searched about 20 times. Grant made this his headquarters for two days and then made our house a hospital. Had between four and 500 wounded in the house. Wow. At one time, they would not suffer us to leave the house, allowed us four rooms in the third story. Our cook cooks our meals out at her house and brought it in a waiter from day to day until they left here. Then she goes back to talking about it being a hospital. The smell from their wounds was very offensive. We could hardly bear it. They made our yard their burying ground. If we made any complaint, they would threaten to burn our house. So we had to bear it patiently. We feel thankful that our house and lands have been saved to us. We can rent out or lease our plantation so that we will be able to live comfortably. End quote. Do you know where they put the soldiers afterwards? Are the soldiers, do you think, still on the grounds? Or I did not find anything out about that. Mm. So I'm assuming that they are still buried there. But who knows? They could have come and taken them and put them in one of the nearer cemeteries that yeah. had... Um, Union graves or Confederate graves. Um, they did do that a lot. So hmm. I don't have any idea if they are still there or not, but it seems like that wouldn't be likely, but I don't know. Another letter by this same lady, she says, quote, we find it hard to get along with free Negroes, spelled N-E-G-R-O-W-S, have to pay them such high wages and get very little work out of them. We hardly make enough to pay expenses. All of our house servants left us. 150 of our Negroes never left us. Charity Fleet and Abe left several years ago. I do not know what has become of them. Mm. So we know that the 150 that stayed, they didn't stay just out of the goodness of their hearts. They were able then to do tenant farming. So they were able to lease land oh. and then grow crops and sell them themselves. And oh. so they were leasing the land from the Daniels instead of just being forced to work the land and get nothing. Yeah. So yeah, it was really rough for the Daniel family after they lost <laughs> all their I know, that's ridiculous. People. You're like, oh my gosh. Poor guys. Now you have to treat them like equals. Crazy. It would seem that at least in small ways here and there, Mrs. Daniel was able to keep the auspices of her former life, entertaining guests and keeping house.
It was in these years when Mark Twain was spending his days as a riverboat captain along the Mississippi that he came to visit the widow Daniel's mansion at Bruinsburg. As the story goes, he marveled from atop the cupola as he watched the steamboats pass along on the river. In his book, Life on the Mississippi, he remarked that Windsor struck him as more of a university than a home due to its grandeur. <laughs> so even Mark Twain was there. Wow. But they were able to keep their home and continue to have social gatherings of friends and family. Catherine was remarried to a doctor named William G. Williams in mm. 1868. And in 1872, she gave birth to a son, George Freeland Williams. On February 17, 1890, the sky over the Mississippi River filled with dark billows of smoke. Something big was on fire. Neighbors rushed to the scene, and what they found was the Windsor Mansion completely engulfed in flames, and Catherine standing beneath an oak tree, devastated, and watching helplessly as her beautiful mansion and everything in it burned to the ground. All efforts to put out the blaze, but it had become so engulfed it was hopeless. Everyone got out of the fire. Catherine was expecting guests that evening, but first needed to make a quick trip to the post office. She left early that morning, and as she returned home, she noticed smoke. As her wagon rounded the bend, she discovered her beloved Windsor was aflame. It is said in a few varying reports that the fire started on the third floor when a guest or a worker dropped ashes from a cigarette or cigar into construction debris left by carpenters who were making repairs. Windsor Mansion was destroyed. How careless is that? <laughs> Throwing a hot flame into, <laughs> into wood. Yeah, and it was destroyed not by the Yankees, but by a careless house guest mm. or a worker. The devastation of the fire left only the columns, balustrades, cast iron stairways, pieces of bone china, and ashes. A local newspaper reported on February 21st, 1890, the palatial dwelling on Windsor Plantation near Bethel Church in the southwestern part of the county burned to the ground last Monday. The fire was discovered about noon, but it could not be checked. And in a few hours, the splendid countryside was in ruins. Most of the contents were also destroyed. These included not only a great deal of elegant furniture, but many costly heirlooms, and much other household property of value, such as jewelry, silver plate, a large library, etc. This residence, probably the most magnificent in the state, was erected by Mr. Smith Daniel shortly before the war. We regret to learn that neither upon it nor its contents was there any insurance. Ugh. I don't know much about insurance in those days, yeah. but basically they lost five million dollars <laughs> after the fire Catherine and her family would find refuge in a former overseer's cottage on the grounds of retreat a plantation house built by her father thomas freeland near present-day alcorn college Catherine and members of the daniel family never returned to windsor Catherine told many stories to her family and nothing delighted the grandchildren more than to be told stories about windsor smith coffee daniel the fourth Catherine's grandson, had been five years old when Windsor burned. After the move to retreat, he was often entranced by his grandmother's fascinating stories, and it is his accounts that have provided much of the historic and architectural details that we have available to us today. And if you remember, Rhett, it was Smith IV that tells the story of the Yankees coming to dinner and breaking up the dinner party. Oh. So he listened to her stories and <laughs> got those details. Yeah, I'm sure he heard a lot. Three years later, in 1893, Catherine would lose two of her children, Smith Coffey Daniel III at the age of 32 and George Freeland Williams at the age of 21. And in 1899, her second husband, William, passed away. Catherine Daniel Williams passed away in 1903 at the age of 72. Mm. Her daughter Priscilla inherited the mansion property. And as a side note, Priscilla and her brother Thomas both lived to the age of 82, being wow. born and dying within a year of each other. 
she died in 1932 and he died in 1933. He died just a year before her. And so they were both 82 years old. Wow. Which was pretty old for those days. Priscilla had married Joseph Magruder and the mansion site remained in her Magruder family until 1974 when they donated 2.1 acres, which included the mansion ruins to the state of Mississippi. The historic site contains 23 standing columns and five partial columns. It is administered by the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. If you remember, there were four cast iron stairways. They did survive the 1890 fire, but over the years, three of the cast iron stairways disappeared. The fourth stairway, they moved to Alcorn State University and now is the entrance to Oakland Memorial Chapel. Wow. And I have a picture of that on our website as well. Check it out. For more than 100 years, no one has known for sure what Windsor looked like because there are no known photos of it and the building plans burned inside the house. Maybe there had been a photo taken and was inside when it burned. Yeah. All the drawings had been done by family members' memories of the floor plan. But in the early 1990s, the most awesome thing was discovered. A sketch of Windsor Mansion was found in the papers of a former Union officer, Henry Otis Dwight, of the 20th Ohio Infantry. Historians believe that Henry Dwight made the sketch in 1863 while his unit was encamped on the grounds of Windsor Mansion. So cool. Yeah. Good job, Henry. <laughs> Henry Otis. <laughs> <laughs> he did a really great job, and it gives us an incredible idea of what Windsor looked like. There's a copy of this drawing in all of our source material and all the photos of our time there at the ruins on our website. The Windsor ruins today stand just a few hundred feet off a quiet country blacktop, easy to find and visit. We had traveled the Natchez Trace. And if you haven't driven the Natchez Trace and you were in Mississippi, I highly you need recommend. To do it. Yes. But that is a story for another day. <laughs> the ruins are maintained by the state. They keep the 45-foot-tall columns free of sprouting trees and the grasses mowed where the house used to be. The latticework connecting the tops of some of the columns are the remains of the iron railing that encircled the home's upper veranda. Mm. Everything else is gone, either burned, looted, or sold for scrap during the Great Depression by Daniel's great-grandchildren. But the columns have somehow stood all these years. Hollywood has also made the pilgrimage to these enigmatic ruins. In two films, Rain Tree County in 1957 and Ghosts of Mississippi in 1996. Hmm. So, Rhett, I have struggled, laying awake at night, and searched for a way to tell the story of the people who were enslaved here at Windsor. Mm, yeah. Finding their story has proven much more difficult than finding the story of the Daniels and their mansion that was built by enslaved labor. There was much or more a part of Windsor than anyone else, so I dug deeper, put off recording this episode, and tried to find more. And I did find a few things. Mm. One of the things I found was that Catherine Freeland Daniel, Smith's wife, had inherited 44 slaves upon her father's death. But what the awesome part of this is, is that I found some of their names. The names are grouped together in what I believe are family groups. And since I'm trying to honor them and tell their story as well, I want us to say their names. Jim Smothers, Patsy, Priscilla, Ned, Little Jim, Cordelia, Little Patsy and Rachel. Elijah, Julia, and Bill McIntosh. Greg, Kate, Henry, and Jacob. Henry Thomas, Abram, Susan, Nancy, and Jim Green. Bill McAllister, Hannah, and Child. Mary. Manuel Dorman, Sally and Child, and Alex. Old George, Rachel, and Child. Little George, Eli, John, Bob, Hetty, Bedley, and Merley. Priscilla and Infant. They were families. Mm. They loved and worked and suffered many things together. 
was glad that I could at least come across some of who the many of the hundreds of people that were there that we could at least give a name to some of those people. Right. Then I came across this article, a thought-provoking piece called The Souls of Windsor in the Jackson Free Press by Brenda Willis with Sister Linda Willis. It was printed Wednesday, May 8, 2013. Quote, As I drove down the infamous Highway 61 on the Mississippi Blues Trail to see the ruins, Strange thoughts began to creep into my head of my ancestors working on the massive land track. Field and house Negroes with no sense of ownership, longing for a land they would never see again, knowing they were lost in a sea of servitude with little to show for their effort, except subsistence in a world they only made better for others to enjoy. Going further into what felt like a lagoon, Windsor seemed to be elusive. The road appeared to have no end. Trees and ravines covered in kudzu stretched for miles, trailing off to a narrow, roughly paved road. That road turned into a shady path lined with hardwoods draped in wild wisteria vines, leading up to the ruins of ornate, fluted Corinthian columns, with cast-iron capitals decorated with acanthus leaves. Getting out of the car, I felt like a tiny insect juxtaposed to the 23 remaining 50-foot ghostly and melancholy towers. The massive structures seemed to peer down at me as I looked up at them. They filled me with reverence, as I could only imagine the physical might and muscle it took to raise them five stories high, before the industrial age and the use of modern construction equipment. Reportedly, the slaves in the plantation foundry made the bricks that made up the columns. My sister Linda joined me in my discovery of Windsor's architectural feat. Gazing closer at the gigantic columns, I couldn't help wonder what went on this great house. With regard to the slaves who lived and labored here, our feet began to feel, our feet began to feel heavier with each step we took around the far east side of the mammoths, so heavy that we glanced at each other as to say, do you feel what I'm feeling? Wow. My body started to feel uneasy and empty as I looked between the columns. Water began to fill the wells of my eyes and tears spilled down my face. Without any verbal exchange, Linda and I looked at each other and let out deep breaths shaking our heads, squeezing each other's hand. We kept walking around to the backside of what would have been the kitchen and living quarters of the slaves, denoted on the small granite plaque that sits at the entrance of the ruins. Almost simultaneously, Linda and I said, a lot of bad things and hard work went on here. We reflected on our own farm upbringing, cooking for 16 siblings in a small kitchen on 210 acres, compared to the hundreds that had to be fed daily on the 2,600 acres at Windsor. Rounding the north side of the ruins made us feel frightened by the isolation of the area, so we sped up, heading back to the park truck, before we encountered the souls of Windsor ruins, unquote. Isn't that, that is beautifully a, done? Yeah, it's very well written. I mean, I think that's very cool that they could feel their ancestors there with them is what it made me think of as she was, mm -hmm. you know, writing that. Um, but it's very sacred and, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of their ancestors really did do all these great things, you know, to make it such a beautiful place. The columns of Daniel's home aren't the only thing of significance left behind by his family. North of Windsor ruins, through trees, vines, and knee-high grasses is a cemetery. Did you really think that I would take you on this journey without a cemetery to explore? <laughs> Heck no. <laughs> so when I went to Windsor Ruins, I had absolutely no idea that there was a family cemetery nearby. They did not advertise this at all, no signs, nothing like that. In fact, I didn't know until about a month ago. I ran across some photos taken of a Mississippi cemetery by a young lady named Julia, and I asked her if she had a photo from there of someone I was doing a podcast about, and she says, I'll look, but in the meantime, look at these awesome photos of a cemetery 
at this place called Windsor Ruins in Mississippi. And I was like, what? <laughs> I had no idea. And I had been wanting to dig into what the whole story was behind these ruins ever since we had gone For there. For sure, yeah. And so, but now that there was a cemetery, it was like, game on. Yeah, it's all over. <laughs> Say less. And so, Julia has been gracious enough to tell us about her trip to Windsor and what she found at the cemetery and the photos she took there. Hi, um, I'm Julia Schaefer Atkinson. I live in Memphis, Tennessee, and I do film photography as a, as a hobby. So when I was doing a little bit of research before I went down there, I was doing kind of a photo scouting trip. And I think it was maybe in a, an article that I was reading online, they talked about movies that had been shot on that location. And one of the movies had a clip that was in a cemetery. And so that's what made me think, oh, maybe there's a cemetery there that I could find. And so I did a little bit of research and found that there was. And so after I went to the ruins, you know, you have to kind of keep going on the road a little bit. And the cemetery is kind of far off from where the ruins are. But uh, getting out to it was, was a bit of an adventure. You know, you have to park on the road and then kind of go way back in the fields. And it's obvious that the area hasn't been kept up but I was just walking and walking through this tall grass and eventually I kind of saw something that looked man-made up on a hill and it was the wall to the cemetery. So I just kind of kept going and, um, and I found it. And it was covered in knee or waist high grass and brambles and, and all kinds of stuff. It just looks completely in its natural state, but it was cool. You know, it's just this kind of like primordial, like green and you know all the roots are growing into the walls and you know you could barely see most of the headstones because the grass and and all the weeds and things were so tall but it was really neat back there it looked like another person hadn't been there in a while <laughs> okay so this part is kind of crazy it actually sits atop one of the four native american mounds that are all thought to be a thousand years old so the cemetery is on top of a burial mound. There's a cemetery on top of a cemetery. <laughs> John Underwood, chief archaeologist for the Mississippi Department of Archives and History said, those mounds date back to around 1100 AD. Whoa. And were occupied until 1600 AD. Roughly three of the mounds are visible, but the fourth one, not so much. Their platform mounds, so structures would have been built on top. Hmm. That is where the elite residences of significant leaders or the equivalent of temples were built on top of those mounds. Oh man, that is crazy. <laughs> that is a lot of work, too. <laughs> yeah. These are prehistoric cultures, Underwood said. These were the ancestors of what we call tribes in the part of the state they would have loosely been considered the ancestors of the Choctaws. Oh. The prehistoric cultures faded and the mounds were abandoned, but sometime around the early 1800s, Mount C of the Windsor Mounds were repurposed as a cemetery. In 1978, the mounds were placed in the National Register of Historic Places. There is no access for the general public. Like I said, it's a bushwhack through the woods. <laughs> Which Julia did. She took one for the team. Thanks, Julia. Way to go, Julia. It's called Freeland Cemetery, and it's where members of the Daniel and Freeland families have been buried since the early 19th century. The earliest grave is that of Frisbee Freeland, 1749 to 1819. He was an American Revolutionary War soldier. According to the website Carved in Stone, there are 45 known markers in the cemetery, and they tell a tale that is told around the world over of life during those times. You can go on the website and see each person's name. You can see that Smith Coffee Daniel II and his wife Catherine are there. Their parents are also there. If you remember, Smith and Catherine were cousins. So when you look at this list, <laughs> you find many similar names. And just looking at the names and dates, it sent my brain to spinning with all of the Freelands and Daniels 
and then people would name their kids after each other. Oh man. <laughs> and then like one kid would die and then a couple kids later they would name another kid that same name. So it it was a lot, but I man, I made a diagram. I wanted to understand. <laughs> I wanted to see like We're who, gonna get this right. who is there. So anyway, I'm not going to try to explain it because it was pretty confusing, but it's all family and they're very intermarried families so it's a lot of similar names as I looked at Catherine's parents I realized that her mother had passed away at the young age of 30 Wow and then I saw that her father Thomas Freeland had been married three different times wow. and that each of his wives had died before they reached the age of 30 hmm and all three of those young ladies are buried at the cemetery. My research also showed me that Thomas Freeland had also had, from what I could tell, 10 children. Wow. With, you know, the three different wives. Right, that makes sense. Only three of these children lived past the age of 35. It's very interesting that all these people are dying around their 30s. You know, it makes you think, what was going on yeah especially with his wives it's i don't know it's really interesting but catherine was one of those children that lived past the age of 35 and like we said earlier to the age of 72. yeah that was really good it's always sobering to research genealogy back in these days you realize that people lost their loved ones often mm, yeah husbands lost young wives to childbirth children lost their mothers. A person's life expectancy was so much shorter then. And did a person lose three spouses and then finally just go, never mind, I give up. Like, I know. no, not doing it again. And on the flip side of things, what was it about a person that lived to be 72 years old in those days, like Catherine did? Yeah. I mean, did she just have a great immune system or? Was she blessed with easy births? Is it luck, divine intervention? Whatever you believe, it is really amazing when you see that someone lived to old age. And I can't help but say, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also imagine the loss they suffered in all their years. So if you lived to be 72, yeah, she... and all the people that died, you lived through a lot of loss. Yeah, that would be really hard to go through. She was a tough lady. Catherine lost babies, her husband, in 1893. Lost her home to the devastating fire. Yeah. And then Catherine lost two of her children, Smith Coffey Daniel III, at the age of 32, and George Freeland Williams at the age of 21. Yeah, still young. Yeah, very young. And just six years later, in 1899, her second husband, Dr. William Williams, passed away. She had lost her parents, many siblings, two husbands, and six children during her life. Wow. That's, that's a lot. That is, that's a lot of loss. And I realized that even though she kind of had this magical plantation life and servants and people to do everything for her she also kind of she had some hard times too she had for sure she had a lot of loss during her life there are stories surrounding this historic graveyard they mainly have been of mysterious lights that seem to float Ooh. around the graves at nightfall there have been reports of a ghost that's said to still linger here it is the Union soldier who, during the Civil War, was killed in the doorway of the mansion. Mm. Those who have seen him say his ghostly image has been seen walking, as if up the iron staircase that would lead to the front door, of course, none of which is still there. Mm. And I would be surprised if there were not more than one soldier, after all, it was a hospital, yeah. and we know that the dead were buried in the yard. Yeah. And I'm still left to wonder where those that were enslaved are buried. I never could find that. Yeah, I mean, were they buried on the grounds too, or? You would think they would have to be. And so, I'm sure there's all sorts of ghosts that linger there, like you said. Another man, 
has also been seen walking the grounds, dressed in clothing of the period. Could this be Smith copied Daniel II himself, who never got to enjoy his beautiful home? Some visitors have reported that his image appears to be so real. According to one report, a visitor saw a man in period clothing, assumed it was a reenactor working at the ruins, and approached him to ask some questions about Windsor. But as he got close, the reenactor, quote unquote, turned toward the man, smiled, and faded away. <laughs> Visitors have also reported hearing the sounds of laughter and music coming from this once magnificent mansion as if there is still an elegant soiree going on inside its missing walls. You know, even after death, the Southerners are still partying. They are <laughs> not going to let anything come in the way of Disturb their... Disturb their party. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some crazy stories. Well, of course, paranormal investigators have been there mm. as well. Those that have visited this historic property have reported seeing the same spirits and have captured sounds of a party on mm. their EVPs, their electronic voice phenomena. Others have also said that they have been poked by unseen hands and heard disembodied voices. That is my line right there. That's where I draw it. <laughs> Are you glad you didn't have any of those things happen? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I think it would be kind of fun, though, to go out at night. I think it'd be kind of creepy. Oh, it'd be creepy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rhett, thank you for helping me tell the story of Windsor. Of course, it was so much fun just to learn about, you know, their life. And, you know, she had a crazy life. Yeah. And I think we could definitely draw from, you know, her example of just sticking it out. Mm -hmm. Keep going. I think it's a it's a story that definitely needed to be told. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Does it come as a surprise that these silent stones have evoked legends and lore? The elegant columns of Windsor are stunningly beautiful, and they have stood for 160 years. They have seen a season for all things, birth and death, celebration and sorrow, slavery and freedom, war and peace, creation, and destruction. The ghosts of Mississippi walk freely here amongst the stones, and if you listen closely, maybe you will hear the wind whisper through the columns, Windsor. This is Stones, Bones, and Shadows. photos and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stones bones and shadows podcast.com also don't forget to check us out on facebook like us on instagram follow us on twitter and leave us a comment we love to hear from our listeners